It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstay Motors Drada, Renault Dealer of the Year. Offering a new standard in used cars with Renault selection. Each model comes with fully serviced, full vehicle health check and delivered with industry-leading standards of two years warranty, two years breakdown assistance and low APR finance. You're very welcome to Monday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Hope you had a lovely weekend. We have a packed show for you this first day of the week. A little bit later on, you know, we're really focusing on road safety on LMFM uh, this week. And on Late Lunch each day, we're going to bring you uh, a very poignant piece because we have uh, a little series for you called Every Road Has a Cross to Bear. And it's where I've gone out and met people on the spot where they lost their relatives along the roadside. I promise you it's really touching but very important to get the road safety message out this week and I thank everybody who's contributed. That's coming up after three o'clock today. Cecilia Forrestal is with us. She's with the Community Action Network and we're talking about abusive lending practices so if you're in trouble with a loan, taking a loan out from somebody you shouldn't have you'll want to hear what Cecilia has to say. Joanna Fortune's in the house 15 minute parenting. Oh surely it can't be that simple. Well she believes it is and she's written the book about it as well. But first off, on Late Lunch today, I'm delighted to welcome my first guest back to the show. Psychologist, business and life coach, best-selling author and much sought-after professional speaker, Donna Kennedy is here and she wants to empower all women to achieve what they want in life. But there's a caveat which we're going to hear about now. Donna, you're very welcome again. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on the show today. It's great to have you with us. Um, Superwoman is a, a character that we hear about, you know, in in myth and legend. Um, to be a superwoman, that's not what you're looking for, are you, from women? No, but it's something a lot of women expect of themselves. Um, so, for example, you have the woman who, in this day and age, often women have careers. So there's the career expectation, then there's the mom expectation, then there's the socialite, then there's the partner. And we're expected to do all of this kind of, um, I suppose... It, to be a super person, to be, and everybody thinks everyone else has it made. You know, they look at people and say, God, they're able to do it so well, or how do they have it all together? When with what I do, a lot of women confide in me and they say, well, actually, you know what, I'm finding it hard. I'm not that super mom. I'm not able to manage the career and want to be at home with my kids as well. And I have, you know, a partner and I'm not spending time with them. And it's a big, big issue for women at the minute. Where does that pressure come from? Is it from within the person themselves? Is it a societal thing? What? 
I think it's both. Um, I think there's a massive expectation put on women at the moment because maybe of the rise in women of equality and that so there's almost like an expectation there both of ourselves and both of other people. Um, society also creates an illusion or a deluded version of what we should be like. So we should look a certain way, we should behave a certain way, we should have certain things achieved by X, Y and Z age. You know, and it's very, very um pressurising for a lot of women but women are nearly afraid to say so not all of course um, some women may find it easy but for most women they find it difficult to juggle everything and be that happy smiling person in the process But the message you want to get across is that you can't be everything to every man or every woman no, you can't. And that's absolutely OK. It's about being the best version of yourself. And this is what I'm trying to do is to help women to be the best versions of themselves, regardless of what circumstance they have. So if a woman, for example, doesn't have a business, she doesn't need to feel intimidated by coming into an event. She can come in and feel non-judgmental. There's nothing. Um, she can be totally accepted as she is. If someone, for example, again, it's a big thing people are confiding me in, if they've got a child maybe who has extra um, the extra needs for learning, Again, that's it's another extra um, pressure, I suppose, if even is the right word. And every single woman is dealing with a different life dynamic. Yet, a lot of women are kind of they want that connection, they want the purpose, but they're afraid to go to women's events because it's like they are all business women, or maybe they have a business and it's not as good as mine, or I don't fit in there. So, what kind of is there? Where's that gap? Um, and there's so many women who need it. There's so many women who need the connection. Maybe women who are at home, maybe women who are in an office and they don't feel connected outside of it. Um, but there is the pressure that they have to be everything to everybody. And that's so unfortunate because really it shouldn't be the case. So with this in mind, you've written a number of books and bestsellers they all are. But you're, you've now put together, uh, will we call it a conference for a yeah, day yeah. For, for all women? And that's the point you want to get across because there are a lot of conferences for business women. But yeah. what you're doing is for everybody. When is it happening? It's the 20th of October in City West Hotel Dublin. Okay, and I know you have a hell of a lineup, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But what you want to say today is somebody out there maybe that's just, you know, has an idea for something, might have a desire to do something in, in their lives, want to get out of a rut perhaps that they're in at the moment, feel they have something more to offer. Is that the type of woman you're looking for? Absolutely. And I think every every 10 years, your dynamic or your purpose changes, I think. Um, and that's just what I found for myself and both for other people, that what you want at 20 is not what you want at 30, 40, 50 and so on. That You know, th- those benchmarks change. Um, for example, if a woman has children, by the time the children get to um, maybe 18, 19, whenever they fly the nest, it's then, it's kind of, well, I've been mom for the last 18 or 19 years, so what do I do now? So they start looking at what other women are doing. And if they happen to see that other women are in business and they say, well, I don't know what to do or my idea isn't good enough or I don't have the finances to do it and all these kind of objections in their head or I'm not I'm not good enough is the main one. Um, what would I be doing out there doing all these businessy things? And they're looking again at the super mom out there doing everything. Um, then for somebody maybe who's working in an office, they might not like working in the office, but they don't know how to get out of that role. So each of us have an individual purpose at any one time. Some we like, some we don't. But what the event really is about is firing, or is finding and exploring what your purpose is and then going after it relative to the life dynamic that you have. So you can allow your goals to fit in with your life and also the people that are around you. Um, our life should include the people that are around us. So it's really about empowering each other and summiting together. I'm actually writing a book, We Summit Together. And that's the whole point of it is summiting together, helping each other, drawing on our strengths and resources. We all have different ones. Um, if anybody thinks they know everything, well, then they're, they're a robot. Um, 
there's different strengths I would have than another person that I might meet and different resources. But if we combine them all together, there's not a reason on the planet that any every woman shouldn't be achieving what it is that they want to achieve. If they don't know, well, let's play around with it and see what it is that you might like to achieve. Let me put myself into somebody's mind listening today and they say, look, I, I don't think I'm intelligent enough. I, I'm not that well educated. I maybe have a, a super education and it's not for me. Uh, look where I am. It, 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 my status in society. God, look, I, you know, I'm here and this is where I am and I should be nowhere else. You know that putting yourself down, that voice inside you. Well, then, then again, I mean, this is societal benchmarks. Again, we're comparing ourselves to different people. When it comes to intelligence, there's different types of intelligence. We're brought up to believe that intelligence is academic. So, for example, um, I have a degree. I also have a good memory. So I learn the information that I have. And then on the exam day, I make sure I put that information. Now, you ask me, you know, a few, a few years later, 20 years later to say the exact same stuff as I said at the exam, I may not be able to do it. Same goes across the board. Some people are very creative. You've got somebody who is very mechanical. But intelligence has been benchmarked as you're an academic. And if you don't do well in academia, it means you're stupid, which isn't the case at all. Again, we all have talents and resources that we need to tap into. Age is another thing. Um, a lot of people who feel maybe that they're too old or they're too young and um, they don't have the skills. Maybe they've taken time off work. Maybe they've put their family first for many years and they're not sure you know, how are they going out there in amongst loads of young women trying to do what they want to do. Are they too old? Are they kind of past their sell-by date? Which is nonsense, but it's so real and so common. Is it more prevalent with women? Because I know you've worked with men and women in the past in your professional work, but you're concentrating sort of on the women's area now. Is the problem still huge for women out there to do what we're talking about now, to achieve, to get out of maybe a, a bind that they're in, move on? I think that men and women are very, very different. We're equal, but we're different. And our needs at any one time can be different. And for women, one of the that I found personally, again, this is only my own experience, is that I found that connection is very important to women. Um, obviously, it is to men as well, but connection in particular is important to women. Having a sense of purpose is important to, to uh, women. Men, for example, achievement is very important or status um, is very important. And we obviously, we all need similar things, but there are certain gaps there that might be um, not filled for certain age groups, for certain, uh, even for, you know, for men and women, there are certain gaps there that haven't been filled and the Women's Empowerment Summit is there to hopefully help people do that. It's been doing well so far. So the idea is to reach out to more people that might need it um, and help everybody. And again, this is we summoning together. It's everybody putting the resources and strengths together, learning from experts who are walking their talk. Um, and that's something I've had to do in my own life. I've had to learn from people. As you know, I had challenges in my earlier years. Um, my challenge is to overcome. The traditional route wasn't working for me personally. Um, it does for others, but it wasn't working for me. So I thought I'm going to find people who have what I want. I'm going to use their strategies and see could it work for me. And I did. And the strategies worked. So now what I'm trying to do is rather than people having to go out and search for people who have those results or the information, I'm bringing those people to women who need it most. And together we combine all those, the information, the resources, tips and tools so that hopefully each one of us, and we all have unique goals, um, can achieve all of our goals relative to the life that we have. So when you go to uh, one of your events, you'll meet people who themselves have life experiences, who've come through a lot of things. And what you're hoping for from your audience is that they'll see and take away learnings from these people and, 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 and their stories. Absolutely. And they'll also, I mean, everything is very, very real. As you know, I believe in this, there's no... Um, 
glossing over anything. There's no point. It's just a matter of just being real and being who we are and feel good enough being who we are. But it's very important that people see that celebrities, high achievers, they're normal people too. Um, and they the event is very much centred around that. It's about stripping back all the things that we do. So, for example, one might, one person might be an Olympian. The other person might be um, a high sports performer or a comedian or a humanitarian. But they're roles that we do. But at the, centre, at the core of it, we're all just women, all human beings trying to get on in this planet. And some of us, many of us, most of us, probably all of us need help um, mm. to do that. Um, but a lot of people don't ask for it. So I'm here so they don't have to ask for it. I'm giving it to them anyway. It's up to them whether to choose it or not. <laughs> what about, the, you know, a, a plan for life? A lot of people go through life willy-nilly, drift in here, fall out there, don't have, you know, a specific vision. Where do you stand on that? Or what do you feel about that from your experiences? Well, I think to stop living for other people. That is one of the main things that pulls people back is living for other people. What will they think if I do what I really want to do? What will my family think? Will they think I'm a fool? Will I fail? Will I succeed? Will I be able to manage the success if I get there? These are all questions that people are asking me at least every week mostly every second day that people literally and a lot of mainly women but obviously a lot of men as well um, and living for other people what will other people think of me if I do this what will the outcomes or the consequences be and that's a shame really because then if we're living through that filter it means that we're not really doing what we want to be doing we're doing what we think other people want us to do which oftentimes isn't even the case mm. You know, but women are the bedrock still of society, and I say that being a man, sure, the, they take huge responsibilities in the home more than men. Still, you know, they're out working as well. There's children looking after their partners or husband or whatever, managing finances, the whole running of the house. My God, there's so many balls to be juggled, aren't there? There is, and unfortunately, a lot of women think all the other women. Me, for example, I'm one of those perceived superwomen. I have a career. I'm writing books. Um, I have a, a child, a stepson. I have, you know, the, all the dynamics that people collectively would go, "Oh no, how how does she do it?" But I have my days too, where I don't feel like do, having it all together. I still have to deal with the kids. You know, the, if they if they decide they're going to throw a tantrum or they want their clothes done or whatever, I have to deal with all those too. But the problem is. Other women who are, if you like, like me, they're not saying that they have to do those things. So there's this betrayal of perfection, which is so unnecessary. And it's limiting a lot of women, in my opinion, because they're not doing what they could do or what they should do or what they can do um, if they just let all that go. Mm. And it is possible, you know, if you have a dream or something you want to pursue, if you have a lot of responsibilities, you can work that into the fabric of your life. You know, you mentioned superwomen doing all those things and now here's something else. Absolutely. If you look at my life, Jerry, I have, um, before I had my son Ashton, I was totally not self, self-centred self now, but I was selfish in that I didn't have anyone else to consider. I could just do my job the way I wanted to do and I didn't really have anyone else to consider. Then when I had my son, my dynamic had to change. So I either continue to do what I was doing the way I was doing it or I say, actually, you know what, I do want to spend time with my son. So that means I'm going to have to change my way of doing things. The goals can still be the same. So for me, I did a lot of stuff online. You can uh, delegate different aspects. You have to work with different people. Um, and that's just a matter of changing it. Most people don't know how to do that. So it's, it's very, very important that people look at what is, first of all, important to them. Is the family important? Is a partner important? And that has to stay at the fore. And then ask the question, what do I need to do in order to make this life dynamic work? 
And then that's a matter really of finding people who've already done it. And these are the people I'm bringing to the event. People, you look at Dervil O'Rourke, she's an Olympian. You know, she has a lot to contend with in her, in her if you like, in quotes, normal life. Um, but she does it. Mm. Um, you look at Deirdre O'Kane, you know, she's an actress, she's a comedian, she's doing gigs everywhere, yet she also has kids. So it's important that everything is, is stripped back and people realise and women realise actually you're quite normal, but you have massive capabilities if only you stop living for other people and, and hone in on what you're actually good at. Donna Kennedy staying with us on Late Lunch this afternoon. If you want to join in the conversation, comment in any fashion. Don't forget the usual numbers 086 658 by WhatsApp or text or you can call in on 1850 More from Donna after the break. Donna Kennedy's with me on Late Lunch this afternoon. You mentioned a couple of the people who are coming to City West to talk. Uh, Dervilo, we know Dervilo O'Rourke, uh, of course, uh, the dancing queen herself uh, from Drogheda, actually, who uh, I'm due a date with if she's listening in today, <laughs> Deirdre O'Kane. You're still due here. Yes, uh, this lovely lady, Donna Kennedy, has made it before you, but I know we'll have her hopefully before the end of the year. Who else? W- what other type of people? Well, Deirdre was speaking at the last event, yeah. but we have another dancer, uh, which is in the same competition, is Maya Dunphy. Oh, yes. Um, Maya did the series uh, What Women Want and she's an incredible lady and she's going to be speaking at it. We also have um, Vera Toomey. Now, Vera has become almost like a national hero at the minute. She walked from Cork to Dublin um, in pure love is the only way I can say it for her child to save her child um, so she did a, a massive feat. So if anybody, again, these people are picked for various aspects of goal achievement. So, for example, a lot of people, while they're trying to achieve a goal, they get so far and then that momentum drops and they're like, well, what do I do? How do I get past that block? Um, Vera will be talking about that. Maya, again, she'll be talking about being authentic. Um, Derville, a lot of people find it difficult to focus. So she's going to talk about the power of focus and how you can do that. Orla Carmody um, is speaking. Who we know very, very well here in LMFM Radio. She's there with you as well, is she? She yes. is. And uh, then we have Neve Kavanagh, another for the won the Eurovision twice. She won MasterChef last year. Um, the reason I have her is because another thing that I'm listening to, and again, I listen to what people are saying, is judgment and feeling good enough. So I thought, who would be best to get than somebody who has the entire country watching on and ne- they need to win. Mm. So there's a big pressure there. So I thought Neve would be perfect to talk yeah. about that. Um, and then I have Gloria Angie Vanelli from New York as well. Um, she lives here and she's just incredible when it comes to health. And health is another issue that a lot of women are unnecessarily and I think unhealthily on diets. And it can make women feel very bad about themselves. Um, and constantly on that pressurised eating regime, which isn't healthy. Um, so Glorianne doesn't recommend that, um, but she's very, very healthy. So she's going to talk about that as well. So it's a really all-rounded um, seminar, but with various different areas of focus because there's certain the, the areas are always the same when it comes to goal achievements. Um, but sometimes if you have different people talking about different aspects of them, something will resonate with an attendee. And I want every woman to come in that door, whatever way they are, and to go out of it more empowered. That's my goal. Can you believe that you're where you are today and all that you've achieved with the challenges. You just might remind listeners because uh, Donna was with me before and we had a great chat about her life story but you've overcome massive uh, asks in your life, haven't you? Well, I have and uh, I've, I've kind of surprised over here on a number of occasions. Um, I suppose to give people a recap and I know it's a, it's a very hard-hitting thing when you hear it in a nutshell um, but when I was seven I was raped and I obviously that was a lot to deal with so I didn't know how to deal with it so I started on a I suppose a road of desperate starvation um, anorexia behaviour 
and I went down to five stone, which is half the weight I am now. And I was given a week to live. Um, so that took a, a lot of strength. Um, thankfully, my parents really helped me with that. And to get back up, um, I did get back up. And I know this is a short version, um, but I did get back up and I, I was doing really well. Um, and just, I don't know, maybe it was Comedy Week in Heaven and I was the star of the show. I have no idea, but I had a car accident and um, I hit my head and I ended up with epilepsy. But before I was actually diagnosed correctly with epilepsy, I was misdiagnosed um, because when I went to the doctor and said to them, you know, my, my head was sore, there was something I, I wasn't right or whatever. And they basically said, take antidepressants. And I said, but I'm not depressed. And I genuinely at that time, I wasn't depressed. And they said, we'll take them anyway. It was a locum. So, of course, you do that what doctor says. And I did. And two weeks about later, actually even less, um, I ended up um, being referred to a psychiatrist. And within 15 minutes, they told me I had schizophrenia, which I don't have. But they put two and two together and they came up with eight. Um, and I was admitted and on 24-hour supervision. So my medication went very, very quickly um, up to 14 medications uh, in three months. And people might say, how on earth did that happen? Well, to give you a very brief synopsis, if I, if I go in and I'm obviously you're concerned, you're going into this place, you're young, you're going to, you're going to be worried. So they say, look, take this to get, take off the edge. So you take it. Then they say, well, um, take this to get you through the night. So you take a sleeper. Then you wake up the following morning, you're really groggy. So you don't feel great and you're obviously worried again. So they say, take this anti-anxiety tablet. And all. And of course, those have side effects. And all of a sudden, you're on a load of junk and you feel like, you know, you see those people walking around and they have the fish eyes and the puffy face. That was me. Um, I was dribbling. Um, any food I had was like crumbs because I couldn't put it in my mouth. You know, nonsense stuff. And eventually I ended up getting a second opinion. Um, my parents, uh, largely due to them, um, and another doctor and nurse that worked together to get me out of there. And I went to Dublin. And basically my dad, I was on talking to him about this recently, but... They went in to, dis- to, you have to go from one psychiatrist system to the next because it's the same, essentially the same diagnosis, if you like. And I went in and they said, um, a 20 minutes interview or whatever. And dad really got angry and he said, can you tell me why that Donna has been totally normal? I was top of my class in psychology before the accident. I had friends, I was outgoing, I was doing everything a normal person would do. And after the accident, you know, she's like this. And the doctor said, what accident? So the seizures my parents had reported seeing me have um, were put down to a medication side effect, um, which has since been taken off the market and has no side effect of seizures. Um, but it wasn't put in my file. The other aspect of there was a scan taken of my brain um, and it showed a hematoma on my left temporal lobe. That was also not in my file. So what the doctor was presented with on paper was something that looked very, very different. Um, so he asked, he requested everything, got everything. And he said, actually, I'm 99.9% sure what your daughter has. And they said epilepsy. No, I was sick of telling people, tell me what I had and hadn't. So I asked for proof. And he went down to the library. He was a lovely man. He went down to the library, got the nurse to bring up literally a ream of like three inches thick of documentations. And I sat in the bed and I was tick, 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 tick. I have epilepsy. Um, and I cried for probably about an hour. And I thought, right, how am I going to get my life back? Um, I had lost my place in college. Thankfully, they reopened it. How am I going to, I need to get back working because I had a part-time job. Um, and I need to get my dignity back. And I actually didn't know how to do it. So I decided I went back to what my mum taught me best and was how to be grateful. And I looked at everything I could be grateful for. And I often laugh because I was wondering what on earth was I doing with a lipstick in a psychiatric unit. But I did have one and that was something that started me off being grateful. So 
when I started to be grateful, I, you know, whatever it was, 39 things, I started then to have, I actually had a foundation to build on. So I decided, okay, I'm going to have to find people who have what I want, people who are achieving despite circumstance. And I looked up people who had been through awful things, whatever it might be, and gone on to be amazingly, in quotes, successful despite it. So I decided to seek out these people and copy their strategies, which is exactly what I did. So I suppose really the event is kind of trying to do the same for other people, but without them having to search, I'm bringing them to them. And that's really the, the purpose. It's just... I love nothing more than empowering people. And the idea, ironically, um, I was asked to do two talks this month uh, that related to this. One was happened to be, and I didn't realise at the time, was in GMIT. And GMIT is now what used to be the psychiatric hospital that I was in. <laughs> but I didn't realise that. So I arrived and I was doing the talk in the ward that I was in, um, which was absolutely bizarre. And the second one was on Saturday, I did a talk for Epilepsy Ireland. Um, so it really was coming full circle. But I realised even at that event, um, and I have temporal lobe epilepsy, so I was talking to people about that. And, they, you know, they asked me, how did I overcome what I did? And I told people, you either have two choices. You either become a victim or you become a victor. And you have to decide. And Pat Slattery often uses that phrase. Um, and then you have to decide, right, OK, I'm going to commit to doing whatever it takes, even if they're tiny steps, to getting where it is that I want to go. And if I have to get help along the way, well, so be it. And that's absolutely fine. And this is why really people need to focus on the empowerment aspect of it as opposed to the the lack or the things that they don't have. And then to find people who have the other things that they lack and bring them in. And all of a sudden you can achieve your goals. So there were many things that I, I didn't know how to do, but I had to put my pride in my back pocket and say, well, actually, will you show me how to do that? And this, again, is what the event is, is bringing skills and resources to people. That And th- this is not people who are you know, just depressed or people who are, it's everybody, everybody from a high powered CEO to somebody who is at home feeling miserable, whoever they are as a woman, I want them to be at this event so that they can become more empowered. And that's what it's about is empowerment and focus on what you do want, not what you don't want. Do you notice how quiet I've been for the last while? <laughs> do I, have I think that that's the longest <laughs> spell I've ever gone without having an input on late lunch, because can I tell you why? You've mesmerised me. You really have. You know, yeah, you talk about, you. you know, what you do, but your story is a wonderful, wonderful one. And here you are wanting to pass that on, the experience you've been through. You know what it's about to other people as well. I think it, it's really, really brilliant. You know, we Thank mentioned you. Superwoman at the to- top of the show, but you're a wonderful woman. <laughs> See, that's what we need to be, Wonder Women. <laughs> yeah, absolutely wonderful. Anyway, just remind them again before you leave us. It's the 20th of October, Saturday, City North, full day there. How can they find out more or book a place? No, it's City West. In City Dublin. West, yeah. sorry, I beg your pardon, that's just the one that's near to us. Yeah, it's City West. West, they know it as well. It's handy around the motorway as well. Well, yeah. the website is We Summit, so W-E-S-U-M-M-I-T dot I-E, We Summit Simple I-E. as that. Yeah. All the details are there, the booking as well. You've been a tonic to start the week today. Just as well, if somebody, just for this show, if somebody is looking to go, um, the price is 97 on the site, which includes lunch, tea and coffee, access to speakers or whatever. Um, but if they enter the code WESPRO1, W-E-S-P-R-O-1, they'll get 50 euro off. Okay, so my God. That That's, uh, that is a great offer. Thank you so much. They'll be all onto it straight away. Hopefully. We have that detail. <laughs> yeah, we'll give you the code and all and the website again if you just could, couldn't catch it there. It's been a real pleasure again. Good luck to you and you're thank great. You, I've Chris. said it to you before. Donna Kennedy, thank you for joining me on thank Late you. Lunch. Thank you. 
The Late Lunch with Blackstay Motors Drada, Renault Dealer of the Year. Offering a new standard in used cars with Renault selection. Each model comes with fully serviced, full vehicle health check and delivered with industry-leading standards of two years warranty, two years breakdown assistance and low APR finance. My next guest on Late Lunch this Monday afternoon is founder of the Sullivan Parent-Child Relationship Clinic. She's a Sunday Times regular columnist and author now of a new book called 15 Minute Parenting. We actually met many moons ago on Late Lunch and we're only after realising yeah. that, Joanna Fortune. You're very welcome back. It's to lovely to be back. It's, it's lovely. great to have you with us. Um, 15 Minute Parenting. I hear them cry yeah. in LMFM land, if only. Oh, I hear you. If only. If I could cry crack now, Jerry, that we could parent in just 15 minutes a day. Wouldn't I be a millionaire overnight? But no, what I really mean by that is when we only have these small pockets of time in very busy parent-child days, let's maximise the time we have. So one of the most common things that I heard in my work in the clinic from busy parents working outside of home is that by the time they get home from work, pick up everybody from childcare, get in the door, get a dinner on the table, they feel they're lucky if they're 15 minutes before they've got to try and get everybody up to bed and they throwing their hands up going, look, what can you do in 15 minutes a day? And I had started to develop in the clinic this, what I'd call a cheat sheet of things. Well, here's a list of things you can do in 15 minutes a day and Here's the impact that could have. And that's really where the title has come from, is about looking at if you tell me you've a small amount of time a day, 15 minutes, I'll tell you what you can get done in it. I was thinking about you coming here and I tried to put down three categories of parent or guardian. The full time, who who are with their children all of the time and I suppose would like a little bit of a break away. The part time parent, maybe somebody who's doing job sharing or, you know, works weekends there during the week and the no time parent. And that's what you're talking about, the parent who's running around. Well, do you know, it's really for all of the parents, because even if you're not at home full time with your kids, your parenting brain is still switched on all the time. Okay. And in fact, what you're probably doing is using your parental guilt stick to beat yourself over the head with what you're not doing. When actually, if you could switch that focus and look at what you are doing and what you are getting right and shine a light on that, I think you can reinforce it. Because I, I, I with very, very rare exception, I would find that parents who come to me are getting way more right than they're getting wrong. It's just that we're wired to focus on the things we're getting wrong. And we it's like if you do something and you get tons of compliments, but one person says something nasty, that's the little niggling voice that's going to resonate loudest with you. So I think it's a bit like that. I think that as parents, we've got to give ourselves a break because if you're a parent parenting full time at home, it can equally be very hard to find 15 minutes a day mm. to simply sit and do mindful play with your child because you are doing, doing, doing all day long. And it can feel like I'm never going to get time to sit down and do that. So it's about chiseling out these moments of meeting and maximising them where you have them. So this is it. It's about 15 minutes and 15 very special minutes. And if you can do this a day, you're saying to me, that'll make a massive difference to you as the parent and the child. Absolutely. For a couple of reasons, because it is, if you do this every single day, it, it becomes consistent and predictable. Your child can predict with certainty that there is a period of time in the day when you will sit and be 100% present. And I mean, no phones, 
no distractions, no, I just need to take the pot off the cooker, nothing at all. For 15 minutes, you are utterly present and in the moment. When you do that consistently every day, your child will stop demanding of you, mommy, 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 daddy, daddy, I need you, I need because they know this time is coming. And that's massively reassuring for them. It's also play that is at their developmental age. So the book is written very much, I mean, look, anyone listening, you could line up three seven-year-olds and they will all behave and emotionally relate in very different ways because mm. some seven-year-olds think they're 11 and some <laughs> seven-year-olds are still very much five and some are, you know, bang on seven and doing that average way of doing and they're doing just fine. But none of that is right or wrong. Kids are different. Mm. And as a parent, you're the expert on your child. So if you have a very young seven-year-old, you play and parent with them, you would a younger child. And equally, if you have a child who thinks they're that bit older, it's no harm to remind them that playfulness can be fun. So you lay out in the book, I know this, and it goes through the different life stages, up to seven years of age in this particular book, as to what you should do in this 15 minute window. Now, can that 15 minute be at the end of the day, like when we have dinner and you put it aside Mm -hmm. then? Or, you know, other people who are with them more full time, can it be five and ten or, you know? It absolutely can. And it's going to look different in other homes, like some homes, 15 minutes together playing is going to be first thing in the morning. And for other parents listening to that, they go, oh, my God, I couldn't imagine anything anything worse than trying to do that in the chaos of our morning. Your house, then it might be in the evening time. Mm. Equally, if you're a very, very busy and you might have lots of children and you're thinking, I'll build up to 15 minutes, but can I start on something else? Yes, you can. You can do five minutes in the car on the way to school. I've got play games in there that you can do on the go what to do in traffic, what to do in the car. Um, You could do five um, when you get home from wherever everyone is. And you could do five embedded into your busy bedtime routine. Mm. So I think that's key as well, that I don't want anyone listening to think, oh, goodness, here comes another voice now telling me yet another thing I have to fit into my busy day. Actually, there are ways to cleverly embed this into your existing routine. So taking things that you're already doing that you have to do on a daily basis and just changing them ever so slightly to get this mindful play in there. You said something a moment ago I want to come back to and emphasise the digital age, smartphones, putting them outside for that 15 minutes. Well, you know, children younger are getting these devices. But I want to say that message should be listened to. Open your ears now, parents and guardians. You know, it's a two-way process here. And I think at times the parents are even worse than the children. I think as parents, we've got to trust that we are the best teacher, the best tool, the best plaything that our children could have. They are looking at us and to us all the time, even when we're not aware that they are. And that includes taking their emotional and behaviour lead from us. So if, if you can imagine, every time your child looks up at you to catch your gaze and instead they see your gaze occupied into a screen, what you're actually telling them is this screen device in my hand is the most interesting thing that I have. And your child is going, well, goodness, if it's that interesting to you, get me one of those. I want to be interested in it as well. So they're mirroring us all the time. So this is about, and look, at I, again, I'm not chastising parents saying so no screens no phones there are lots of people who rely on these devices to work and stay connected with people Um, you know if you're parenting outside of home or if you're parenting full-time in home you might need that outlet but just be aware of who's watching you while you're doing it so be aware that it's not always in your hand but there might be times of the day that you set aside to do that when your children are occupied and playing and equally that you can say for 15 minutes not just put it in your pocket because it's still there, it's still present, but get rid of it for that and just be your emotional right brain connecting with your child's emotional right brain in a moment of meeting. 
I'm with you all the way on that one. You're the expert, but just from my experience as well. The ability, this is something that jumped out at me in reading the book, the ability to emotionally self-regulate. Yeah. is one of the key things you say in the development of a child and a child and into their teenage years and beyond what do you mean by emotionally self-regulating yeah i think as parents one of the biggest mistakes all of us make is that we can expect too much too soon from our children we sometimes you know anyone who's ever you know if you've a toddler and you're trying to rationalize and reason with them and say but why did you do that we've talked about it before and you know you're just driving yourself crazy because it's not land at all. What we can look at there is that children under seven do not self-regulate their emotions. They co-regulate in response to their parents and carers. So what I mean by that is, if, for example, not if, when your child is losing it, and they will, and you lose it with them, they can't co-regulate with your rage. The only person who needs a timeout in that situation is the parent to cool down and bring it down the heat a little bit so that you're beneath your child's arousal level so they can connect with you and be co-regulated downwards with you. I'm doing little hand signals as if people no, no, can no, see but, me. Yeah, but, but you know. <laughs> you're explaining it very well, let me say. And that's but really I know what, what it you're is. saying. And, and I know in the book you say when a tantrum, we'll call it, happens. Yes. Grab them, take them out of the situation. Separate them from the action, whatever it is, wherever it is. Yeah, cool. No need to get, just distract. Distraction is a good tool you talk about as well with children. I think distraction is key. And especially if we're talking about an under four-year-old, discipline is a waste of your time. It is only going to drive you insane that you are definitely going to hear yourself say, are you listening to me? And as soon as you have to say those words, the answer is no. Because if you have to ask, you know the answer. An under four-year-old really doesn't consistently do cause and effect. So when you punish them for something they've done, they really do not consistently anyway link what they've done, their behaviour with your consequence. They simply think you're mean and unreasonable and they will rage against you. Now, that being said, I'm not saying let everything go because boundaries are really important. Children will never thank us for them, but they do need them. But you will be better off coming down to their eye level. Obviously, with an under four year old, hold their little hands because coming down to the eye level of an angry toddler gets you a slap. So hold their hands, maybe sway them because rhythm and synchrony is very good for emotional regulation. You come down and you say a very gentle yet firm no stop doing whatever they did and then very quickly distract and redirect them. And what you want to do is give them a behaviour and an activity that you are happy for them to do. So effective discipline for me doesn't have to punish the behaviour you don't want to see. It has to teach the behaviour you do want to see. So you're saying to me the naughty step's a waste of time. Oh, it wouldn't be for me at all. And I think it can be quite shaming for children. Mm. I think it works with very few children. I think there have been you know, big, successful TV programs that showcase things like timeouts as if they're 100% successful. But actually, you can carefully select enough families where it does work to make it look that way. It works with very few children. If you have a more emotionally sensitive child, a child who has a tendency towards anxiety or worries or uh uh-oh feelings, as I'd call them, then isolating them from you, they will feel rejected and it can actually make their behaviour worse, not better. Okay, so that's an interesting point there because a lot of people, well, you know, as we're listening to you today saying it doesn't work. That's the bottom line. And a lot of people still persist with it and they can only understand now from what you say why the behaviour doesn't change. This is it. If it it works for you and you might be saying, no, it works in my house, Mm. then you know what? Great, go for it. 
just make sure after you've had a time out like that that you follow it up with a repair. So if there's any rupture between you and your child, you follow it with a repair and everybody gets back on track. As in, you make up. You let them know, I still love you. I did not like that behaviour, but you and me were still good. That's really sound advice. Joanna Fortune is with us. When I saw the title of this book, I thought, oh, oh, oh somebody's <laughs> onto something here. 15 minute parenting. Give me some I've of that. It. <laughs> You're getting plenty of it on late lunch today. Stay with us. 15 minute parenting. Yes, folks, it can be done. Joanna Fortune's with me today. She's the author of this brilliant new book. Can I come back to the area of discipline with children yes. for a moment? And you know, in today's world where a child has many different, uh, let me say, places they go every day. People who care for them, Joanna as well, they may start off in the morning at home, then they go to school, they may be with somebody minding them, then maybe mum and dad comes in. You know, it's changing all the time. How does discipline... How, how do you discipline them there? How does it work? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, as best you can, and I can empathise completely because that's such a relatable situation with uh, parents who are working outside of home. It, they may be splitting childcare between third party childcare provider, a family member, grandparents doing one day or two days a week. So your child is coming into contact with lots of influences. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. That can be lovely. You know, they're getting, you know, a wraparound care approach. But I think what's really important is that you as the parent are very informed as to what no means in each of those settings. So how does your crash or childminder deal with discipline? What is their process and protocol? And you know, I'm always very slow to try and tell grandparents what to do, if I'm honest, because, you know, they've been there, done that, raised you and you've turned out all right. So let them at it. And I think the role of grandparent is so valuable and important in little children's lives that I think, yeah, the fact that granny and granddad let a few things slide is probably a privilege and rite of passage. But that being said, if you are in a situation where you're aware grandparents are, are giving a very different and conflicting message, then you do need to sit down. But Jerry, I would say you needed to sit down before you signed off on the arrangement and say, are we all on the same page? At least most of the time. So I think get on the same page most of the time because what children need is calm, clear, consistent responses from their caregivers. And that can only happen if everybody talks to each other. Now, you know today where the uh, guardian or parent, one or the other, maybe even both of them, they're going to football, they're Irish dancing, they're in the ballet class, they're performing on stage, they're playing a musical instrument. Oh my God, if they're not all doing this, sure they're not blimmin' normal. We were bored when we were younger, when I think back, many's a time. But you know something? We weren't bored for long. You know what I'm getting at? I absolutely do. And I have a whole chapter on this because I really do believe that one of the biggest things that we are going to face is that we are not allowing our children experience true boredom. I know as a parent myself, I know that even if you hear a child say the words I'm bored or if they look bored, it can send a chill down your spine. And as a parent, you feel, have I let them down? Am I not doing enough? Oh, my goodness. Sure, look at this. Do you want to do jigsaws? Do you want to do games? Will we read a book? Will we watch a movie? Do you want to go outside? Will we go to the park? And what you're actually doing with the best of intentions is sabotaging your child's right to boredom with distraction. I think you the, you would be so much better off saying, you're bored, wonderful. I can't wait to hear what you're going to come up with. I think you will come up with a great idea and let me know when you do. And you just let them there. I mean, most children have little franchises of toy stores at home these days, so they've plenty of things to occupy and distract themselves. And if not, they can wrap up and go outside and have an adventure out in the garden or or in the park or the communal play area, wherever you are, 
let them explore their own environment indoors or outdoors and find something to do. Out of boredom comes a capacity to develop desire. And we have got to raise our children with a capacity to know their own desire, to know what they like to do, what they don't like to do, what gives them pleasure, what doesn't, because otherwise they will always look to another to entertain them. I'm delighted you said that and emphasised that point today because it needs to be said and needs to be done. So the message today from Joanna is boredom's fine. Let them alone. Let them work their Give own way out of break. it. Yeah, absolutely. Don't feel guilty about it. Yes, they do need things done with them, but not night, noon and morning. I can't stand a child crying. I'm a grandparent. I hate to hear a child crying. And I know in the book you talk about, you know what I mean, uh, less tears and more laughter. Yeah, I I think, you know, oh gosh, I think, you know, I'd be a bit like that. I think a child crying and hearing a child in distress is distressing. It touches off something in us because that's our empathic connection with children that we love and care for. Something in us knows that feeling of distress in them and we are hardwired to make it better. And I think what it's about when I say less tears, more laughter, it's about getting playfully connected. I think when children are what looks like they're demanding our attention is more often their need for connection with us. And they will get that connection however they can, even if it means negatively. So they might, you know, it get to a stage where we we end up snapping or yelling and they're crying and we're feeling dreadful for having done that. Nobody's happy. But what I'm saying is if you can meet them in these playful moments of meeting and connection together, then it's going to result in less of that whining tears and more of that playful laughter. That's what we want. More laughter in the world and wipe away those tears and cut it out. But I have to say, if you if you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Take this book and work through it from the start. I, I, I'd say you're going to be on the, on the right path from from the word go. What about the area of then when independence? You know, you know, we talk yeah. about their dependence on a lot of us, and then as they grow up, you can see the little independent nature of them. Are you a believer 
in giving them little jobs to do. Oh, from the youngest age, like I would say, Jerry, give them little jobs from as young as two. I think we've got to get them practicing independence as young as possible and then grow that up with them. Now, obviously, at two years old, I'm not suggesting you have them empty the dishwasher or bring the laundry in or anything like that. No, I'm no, don't do that. that. Maybe they could carry their nappy in the little nappy bag to the bin for you and they could put it in the bin. Maybe they could help you when they pick up their own toys and put them in the basket or the toy box, whatever it is. But that, And then you praise their effort. Oh, you took your time and you got all the toys into that box. And then you grow it up with them. So as they hit more kind of four or five years old, they can put their pyjamas under the pillow. They could put their laundry into the laundry basket. They can You increase the jobs for them uh, right the way up because then it's not like when they're 14 years old on the sofa with their earphones in and you're saying, will you bring the bins out? And they go, yeah, in a minute. I will in a minute. I will, and nobody moves. And in the end, what happens? Parent ends up going, mm. I'll do it myself mm. and gets frustrated. The expectation is there that part of being in a family is that everybody helps out and you start that very young and you grow it up with them. So you're not trying to reintroduce it later on, nor do I think that children should be paid for every little job that they do around the house. I think there should be set chores that they simply must do. And then if you want to link pocket money to chores, you give them additional chores that they might get paid for. But there should always be a couple of things every day that they have to do. If nothing else, it gives you an opportunity yes, to praise them. absolutely. Just one more area before we finish. And honestly, I could talk <laughs> on to you. I absolutely love this book. I, I really do. Oh, I'm, I'm going to so, tell them in a moment I'm so again. so pleased. Really. But anxiety, you know, in, in, yeah. in the world today, you know, anxious children, anxious parents. If you, you know, work through what you suggest here, starting from a very young age and that 15 minute play and all that we talked about for the last short while. Is that the things or are these the things that will ensure that we don't rear anxious children or are not anxious parents? It will definitely help. I think some children are more hardwired towards anxiety. Their inner worry alarm is a little more sensitive and Mm. goes off quicker. I mean, other kids, you might be listening going, they, and you're, you might be thinking you're raising one that's Teflon coated and everything just seems to fl- slide off them. Nothing lands and they're bulletproof, they're grand. And another child who feels everything at what I'd call that too much level all the time. So if you're a more sensitive child, you tend to take on the feelings of those around you. And as a child, it's very difficult to differentiate between what's your stuff and what's someone else's. So if you think of a sponge that gets soaked through every now and then, you've got to pick it up Ring it out so that it can function. Parenting an anxious child is about making sure they don't get saturated with feelings they can't process. And that's why the play, because play is the language of children, is absolutely the means. Instead of you saying, now tell me all about your worries, let's talk about them, because that's trying to keep them up in their thinking brains. I'm saying forget that. If you want to know what's going on, sit down and play. It's all happening there in front of you. Well, I can tell you one thing. It all happened for me, reading this brilliant book. In my years doing Late Lunch, I'll say this now, this is probably the most brilliant book I've read on parenting. I'm so flattered. Thank you so much. And I have interviewed quite a number of people. I think this is just outstanding. It's Joanna Fortune, 15 Minute Parenting, the quick and easy way to connect with your child. I recommend it highly. If you're expecting, the time to get it is, if you're expecting a baby and start from the start. Because there's a whole piece at the beginning about preparing for parenthood. And even if you're down the road a bit, get it, read back, read forward. If you have a child, maybe you'll have another one or two. So you never know, God's good. Get it as well. I recommend it. It's absolutely brilliant. 
brilliant. I have one copy. They don't want me to give it away. And the Oceanade Brazil's going mad there. But I, I'll contact <laughs> the publishers. I'm sure they look absolutely, after us. They yeah, will. Absolutely. I know they always will. They're brilliant. I will give this copy away. Joanna will sign it for you. But you'll have to tell me why I should give it to you. This is, not, this is a brilliant book. I just don't want to give it away with a one-word answer. Text us or WhatsApp us now. Why should you have this brilliant book? Are you expecting a baby? Have you one just arrived? Parents, grandparents, guardians, get in touch with us now. 086-1800-658. That's 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. And you could be reading this book very shortly. It's been a real pleasure meeting you again. And congratulations. Thank you so much. Lovely to come in and talk to you. Thank you indeed. Thanks, Joanna. The Late Lunch with Blackstay Motors Drada, Renault Dealer of the Year. Offering a new standard in used cars with Renault Selection. Each model comes with fully serviced, full vehicle health check and delivered with industry-leading standards of two years warranty, two years breakdown assistance and low APR finance. We need five finalists for next Saturday. Village Hotel, Betty's Town, our dream wedding giveaway. Worth 15,000 euro. We've had hundreds and hundreds of entries. We've been talking to lots of people. We've whittled them down. There's three already confirmed. Monday it is. How about number four? I wonder, is Kira Maguire there to talk to me? Hello, Kira. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. Do you know why I'm ringing you? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, Kira Maguire and your beau, Stephen Harmon, you are our fourth finalists in oh our God. dream <laughs> wedding giveaway. How does that sound? <laughs> are you excited? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, it's great to talk to you today. You sent us in some story about the pair of you. How, know, how long do you know this fella? Um, about five years. Five years now, yeah. Where'd you meet him? I met him in Clarehead in the pub. In a pub in Clarehead, as all great love stories begin. And was it was it was it love at first sight? That was yeah. Straight away, you knew this is him. He's the man for me. Yeah, well, it changed my mind a few times. <laughs> Listen, don't be saying that today. You have to get the next Saturday together and in one piece. You know that you got engaged, though. Come on, when did you get engaged? Oh no, we never broke up or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. We're only having a bit of fun here. When were you engaged? Christmas Eve last year. All right. And have you, you, nothing planned yet for the wedding itself? No? Not as of yet, no. Okay, that's because of circumstances, which I don't want you to tell me about because we're keeping that, especially for everybody on Saturday. Late lunch coming live between one and three on Saturday afternoon. Unprecedented. So I take it yourself and himself will be around on Saturday to join us in the village, will you? I think we'll have to squeeze in a couple (laughs) hours, yeah. You certainly will. You know you're down now to the final five. Yeah, crazy. What would this mean to you to win a 15,000 we- wedding paid for start oh, to finish? In the world, yeah. What it? Absolute world, yeah. You could do it. It'd be a big help, would it, on the road of life? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, and if you little fella, if you little boy, what's his name? Yeah, he's one and a half, Tig. Ah, lovely, lovely, lovely. So listen, it's a date now. You have a date. The two of you have a date with me next Saturday. Is that okay in the Village Hotel? Yeah. That's great. Looking forward to seeing you then, Kira. OK, thanks a million. Not at all. Thanks Take care you. of yourself. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That's Kira Maguire there. And Stephen Harmon. They're from Dunlear. And there are four finalists in the Dream Wedding Giveaway. If you're 
in the competition, you're still in the, the mix. I promise you. One more place uh, to be decided and we'll be talking about that on late lunch tomorrow afternoon. Now, my next guest on the show today is going to talk about something that hasn't gone away. We've said it many times on late lunch. You think that all that jet thing was behind us and the country's rattling along and nobody's in difficulties anymore. But they are and you do know that they are as well with features we've carried here on the show. I'm joined this afternoon by Cecilia Forrestal. She's from the Community Action Network, CAN is their abbreviation, and we're going to talk about debt and a very special event that's happening in the Crown Plaza in Dundalk tomorrow evening, the 2nd of October. Cecilia, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. First off, uh, we're going to talk about uh, primarily abusive lending practices and and this project. Uh, What is CAN, though, the Community Action Network? Well, CAN is a social justice NGO and for the last 31 years we've been placing people at the heart of change. And in the context of this conversation, the people are people in mortgage distress and the change is the change in the policies, the structures, the systems, the practices, the attitudes um, of the, the, the system that is actually failing to meet their needs as things stand. And was that exasperated by the crash that we've focused on so many times and it's a decade since the crash we're marking it at this time? Yes, indeed. Um, I, the, the, the origins of this project, we're a partner in the Abusive Lending Practices Project, which is a a coalition of legal human rights and NGOs funded by the Open Society Foundation. And the origins of the project, I suppose, are in Europe, where uh, after the crash, a number of organisations began to really look at, I suppose, a very worrying trend at the huge increase in people who are in debt and in significant debt. Um, and they began to look at why Why is that? If there were so many people across Europe, why was it? Was it all individual fault or were there other aspects to it? And as they began to zone in on the housing crisis in particular and why so many people were in debt, having tried to just simply buy a home for their families... Um, I, th- I think they discovered on the one hand that, yes, people borrowed money. Uh, maybe there was illnesses. Maybe they lost their job. Austerity hit. A whole load of things happened in their lives. Um, but also they were borrowing more and more money as the, other, as the crisis hit to meet basic needs. Mm. And because they became more vulnerable, they also were buying at higher rates. So that was one side of the equation. But what they also discovered and what this is all about is that on the other side of the equation, during that period, there was a huge amount of reckless, predatory type of advertising and marketing. People were targeted, they were encouraged, they were um, invited to take out loans, there weren't proper credit checks done. Um, and in fact, what the whole piece of this project is all about is in many of the contracts, there were unfair terms, both in the contracts themselves and also in the way the clauses of the contract are uh, implemented and carried through. So it's not all about people. Mm. It's, mm. it's about two pieces to it. And I suppose what's happened is that those contracts were taken out within a legal framework 
And the state is supporting the enforcement of that framework without ever really questioning as to whether the contracts were fair in the first place. I think so many people will welcome those words that you're saying today because I've heard this in casual conversation from people. You know, we've all heard of money being pushed on people at the time. Borrow more money. You're right. There was money given out without proper checks being done on people. Uh, You know, the terms and conditions. So you're actually saying today that there's a possibility of a remedy for people. Well, what we're saying today is that there are two pieces of European legislation that should be used in the Irish courts that are not being used. Um, And I can fill you in on what those um, pieces of legislation are. But essentially, that's what we're going to be talking about in great detail tomorrow Tomorrow, evening at the the meeting. So briefly, what are they? Well, the the legislation has to do with uh, consumer law, which is a piece of legislation called the Unfair Contract Terms Directive. Um, and the other one has to do with human rights called the European Charter of Fundamental Rights. And without getting very complicated about it, previous court cases in Europe and in Ireland say that these laws can be applied to people who are in mortgage distress and that if applied correctly in 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 uh, cases where people are at risk of possession orders being granted against them or at risk of eviction, they have the potential to protect them. Okay. Um, now, they're not being applied in the Irish courts, and that's a, a, a cause of concern for the project, which is why there's one whole branch of the actions related to the project to do with educating lawyers, educating courts, justices, uh, registrars, all sorts of people about the laws and asking them to uh, look, apply them more. Um, and on the other hand, looking at uh, bringing some strategic litigation cases to the European Court of Justice um, on points of law to try and see why are these cases not, with these laws not being applied in Irish courts. Okay. So there are a number of cases going through and then our piece of the project is to reach out to people who are themselves in mortgage distress to tell them what these laws mean, to tell them how they could use them and to give them all the information that they can to try and bring to their legal advisors or legal representatives if they have them, and that's a problem, um, and to try and push that these laws are, that we demand that these laws are used in the courts. So there's real hope from what you say today for people who might have felt in despair, that they felt, you know, the way people have a belief without being able to get into the nitty gritty of this, that they were done wrong from several points of view that you've touched on there. This is about these people coming forward. This is what you want. You want to hear from people. We want to hear from people and we want to break the silence of their experience. Our our experience over the last few months is that the people who took out loans were, for the most part, when it relates to family homes or when it relates to maybe renovating their homes or looking for education for their children or anything to do with their personal life, when people were taking loans out for that, they were the people who were trying to make a go of it in Ireland. And they very quickly have found themselves in trouble for all sorts of reasons. We are maintaining, for some of those reasons, have to do with unfair terms in their contracts. Um, The way interest rate has been calculated, um, the acceleration clauses, for example, that are in contracts and other clauses that are given in great detail in the guide that we will be disseminating tomorrow evening. Um, But those people 
took out loans in good faith and then found themselves in difficulty. And for the majority of people, they are living with incredible shame and a sense of failure that they didn't make it. Most people don't want anyone to know about the circumstances they find themselves in. They're living it in a very individualised and isolated way. And they're completely and utterly flabbergasted by the system, the legal system they find themselves in. For the most part, they're not eligible for uh, legal aid. And then the cost of aid is, it, we hear figures from thirty to 50,000, depending on your case, to represent yourself going through court. Mm. That's just not feasible yes. for anyone. Um, and also, the only the only service that's available is the Awalia scheme, which has is kind of a gateway into other services. Like... For the kind of complex law that they're trying to negotiate to save their homes, um, one hour consultation, two hours max, is just not adequate to help equip people to try and make a case for themselves. Cecilia is staying with us on late lunch. Cecilia Forrestal from the Community Action Network and Crown Plaza Dundalk tomorrow evening. There is a meeting. If you're affected by what we're talking about today or you find yourself struggling in debt, you're worried about losing your home. This is for you, I promise you. We're going to tell you about what's happening tomorrow night and talk more to Cecilia after the break. Cecilia Forrestal is with me on Late Lunch from Community Action Network. Cecilia, can you just context for listeners today numbers when it comes to mortgage distress? Well, at the moment, I mean, this is what's shocking and this is where there's a big silence that we need to break. At the moment, there's something like 70,000 mortgages in distress. Of them, there's 20,000 currently going through the courts. Now, they're mortgages. They're not men, women and children. If you multiply them by a minimum of four, a minimum of four, that's 80,000 people who are living at the moment um, in fear of having their homes taken away. And the sad reality for those people is that for many of them, they have been going through a system that has been, um, you know, uh, adjournment after adjournment after adjournment. They may be living for eight or nine years with this strain Mm. and they don't know when it's going to end or what's coming down the line. They are totally and utterly intimidated by the court processes for some, they go, they do their very best. Um, I talked earlier about the lack of re- legal representation and the lack of any meaningful legal advice. Um, and so people are turning to everybody that they can. They're trying to connect with different people. Sometimes they get very good advice. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they get it for nothing. Sometimes they're paying money hand over fist to people who are promising them things that are isn't going to actually help their case. That's why we're saying to them, please, can you come back and depend on laws that are there and that ought to be used? And our whole project is about making sure that those laws do get used. At the moment, they're not. So we have to create groundswell of people who are demanding that these laws are used in Irish courts. I really applaud what you're doing. I I, I do because it's something we've highlighted here in Late Lunch on LMFM a number of times over the last year and especially in the last six months and it'd take a tear from a stone to hear some of the cases and how people, Cecilia, feel abandoned, alone. Yes, totally. And isolated. Like we've been having meetings around the country trying to reach out, like because our task is to try and reach out uh, to those thousands of men, women and children. And one of the interesting things that we're finding is that we might have a meeting in Mullingar and we'll get people coming to it from Clare. 
or from Mayo. They're not coming from, they may not be coming from Mullingar. I was at a meeting in Limerick only last week and people came from Cork and from Clare. One or two people came from Limerick. So, like, there's a dominant narrative in the media, and I'm not saying about yourself because you have been trying to do something about it. But when you listen, you hear about bad loans, people non-performing loans. Non-performing loans are not people. Like, you know, even to call the language is so dehumanising. Non-performing loans almost implies bad people who couldn't be bothered paying their money. They borrow the money, they should pay it back. That doesn't in any way reflect what I hear on the ground around people who, for the most part, you know, have don't even know sometimes who they're paying their money to now. Mm. Um, and there's... There's very, very little uh, conversation about the human stories that lie behind the people. And I think I, I, I think as well, it's really important to say that there are as many reasons why people are in mortgage distress as there are people. But there, it is not all about what they did. There are unfair terms in contracts. There is, there is a, a, an absence of legal representation for people. And as well as that, under the two laws that we're talking about, the courts should be doing an assessment, not will can, please, will you do it or would you mind doing it? Under law, they must do an assessment of all the mortgage documents to make sure that there are no unfair terms. This is not happening. And yet we know, and people will see in the guide that we're uh, uh, disseminating, that there are unfair terms in contracts. People should be able to access all their documentation, not just their mortgage contract, but all the advertising, everything that went on ahead of it. They're not being able to do that. Now, once the court begins to consider, we're saying to people, ask to have the unfair terms assessment done. And it's not about asking verbally. There are templates and the guide that we're talking about and the website abusivelending.org has a whole series of affidavits, templates for affidavits that all you have to do is fill in your own details for to be doing the required legal process that looks for this um, unfair terms assessment. Okay, we're going to give out those details now in a moment, but just before we do, one aspect of this that's raised its head, and I've heard people saying it, you know, and and I think you touched on it earlier, um, where an assessment was done about somebody's capability to borrow the amount that they borrowed, and that wasn't particularly done properly uh, or disregarded or not paid attention to at all. Is that something that's in this process that we're talking about here today to be looked at? Well, everybody's individual situation is separate, so I don't want to get into saying grand terms. terms. In, In general terms... There are unfair terms in contracts. Okay. Now, but the important point is you do not have to prove what they are. You do not need to know what they are. You simply need under with using the proper affidavit to ask that your documents are assessed. And the reason why you do that is that once you do that, you then activate the other assessment under the human rights law, which allows the court, you can request the court to decide if 
eviction is a proportionate response to the circumstances you find yourself in. And that's the one that you really want to use. Mm. If there's unfair terms and they get eliminated, your contract still stands. It may save you money. It may do a whole load of other things. Your contract still stands. But to get the proportionality assessment under under the European Charter of Fundamental Rights, that puts you in the best place to consider whether it's in the rights of your children, older people, people with disabilities, uh, your right to privacy and to a home, whether all those rights are going to be served by eviction or not. So tomorrow night... Uh, this talk, it's for an hour and a half, is happening at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Dundalk from half past seven. In, in a few words, is it for people who are facing eviction from their home? Is it for people who are uh, not opening those letters and trying to ignore the debt? People who are trying to pay it but struggling big time? Does that sum up who it's for? It's for everybody, everybody. in those situations. Anyone who, even uh, even uh, no matter what stage they're at in terms of court proceedings, but if they're in mortgage distress in relation to their home or anyone who's helping people in mortgage distress in relation to their home for no cost, um, that's who's that's who we're we're targeting for tomorrow night. Every all the information that's been given out is given out completely free and it's not there for anyone to make money out of. Mm. So tomorrow night we will go through what is in the guide and explain to people about the templates. We'll also explain to them the importance of data collection and we are conducting our own research um, at the moment so we'll be encouraging people to fill in a questionnaire totally anonymous and in fact if anyone can't make the meeting could I ask suggest that they get onto the abusivelending.org website where they'll get all the information but they'll also have access to the uh, survey. The importance about the survey is that it's actually changing the stories into statistics and actually giving us authority to speak more about the reality of for thousands and thousands of men and women. And it is a reality. I'm delighted you came today to talk to us. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And if we help one person today, but we're going to help more, I know this. If you can get along, folks, tomorrow night, and you're in the category of person we've been talking about, or you know someone who is, who hasn't been listening to us today, tell them about it. Half past seven tomorrow night, the Crown Plaza Hotel in Dundalk. Everybody welcome. And that website again, abusivelending.org. For the moment, Cecilia Forrestal from Community Action Network. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you, and thank you very much for having us. Thank you. The Late Lunch with Blackstay Motors Rider, Renault Dealer of the Year, offering a new standard in used cars with Renault selection. Each model comes with fully serviced, full vehicle health check and delivered with industry-leading standards of two years warranty, two years breakdown assistance and low APR finance. You know, with late lunch on LMFM Radio this Road Safety Week, and we're going to talk more to you about that just in a moment. But before that, my God, Sinead, we got some messages for Joanna Fortune and our 15-minute parenting. Yes, and I'd like to read some of them here for you, Jerry. I would absolutely love the book. I have a little lady who is such an anxious child. Every day is a struggle for her. She missed loads of school last, last year because of this and has gone from dancing on stage in front of hundreds of people to not being 
able to even walk into a fesh. She has been a worrier since a tiny little girl and it's heartbreaking to watch. She attends play therapy to help a little. So that's a woman that really needs the book, I Can think. Can I give that person, whoever they are, I want to give them a yes, book, a signed I do, copy. I do. That's certainly one I'd love to give. A book is yours. Have we a name on that? No, do we get a name or anything? No, I don't have any name okay. or anything on it, so I'll have to give a call okay, after Okay, we'll the give show. a call after. Whoever you are with that little story, uh, Joanna Fortune's book, 15 Minute Parenting, is yours. And you know what? I have another one here. I have a you second do. copy oh, signed. Fantastic. And okay. you know something? There's a big demand for it in here in LMFM, but you know the rules of the game? The father listeners on late lunch. Have you another lovely story for us? I you do. do. You've loads of them, another, I know. I, this is another You've one that this really one, sort you? of yeah, okay. you know, came out to me. Hello, Jerry. I'd love a copy of 15 Minute Parenting as I'm bringing up one of my grandsons full time. He's six years old and I'm 71 years of age. It's a challenge on my own. In anticipation, says Margaret. So I, I just felt Margaret oh, really Margaret. needed her help as well. Jerry. Well what done you think? to you, Margaret. And I know that's a, a, a labour of love for you as well. And I know you love the child dearly. The book, I'm sure the book will be a big help to Margaret yes, as well. So yes. we're going to send a copy of Joanna Fortune's book, 15 Minute Parenting, to Margaret also. So that's the two. And thanks to everybody. We've got loads and loads of lovely messages from you today. Also, there's a message, you know, yeah. our road safety campaign. Yes, Do you want to tell is. them that? Well, I'll read that one there. Yeah, that we've got, yeah. and I, I think that this ad actually stopped everybody in their tracks. So fair play to our own production studio and Peter there, who uh, created the ad specifically with Road Safety Week in mind. Uh, this, is, this is coming in from Richard in Dublin, regular texters of the show. He says, Jerry, that ad you played on the break, the woman on the phone driving is so real. I drive a lot and every third or fourth car has a phone stuck to their ear. Get a hands-free set and I think three penalty points plus a 60 euro fine is too lean. It should be 10 penalty points, he thinks, and a 150 euro fine for first time and then second time for four year driving ban and a thousand fine, says Richard in Dublin. So he'd crack down a bit more harder on the people on the phone. But, you know, I think the ad there really speaks for itself. It's um, it's very well put oh, together. The impact of it is uh, really really outstanding. Now, on uh, late lunch all this week, I'm going to tell you uh, what we're doing for Road Safety Week. We're doing a, a number of features. But just to remind you, this is Road Safety Week this very week. And across the station, we have our own very special safety campaign. On all your favourite programmes right through the week, we'll be highlighting aspects of road safety every day. You can check out our videos on Facebook, Twitter and on lmfm.ie during the week. Tony Conlon, our motoring expert, will be telling you what you should should have in the boot of your car and Tony's actually with us tomorrow on maintaining and tyres on your car it's a special motoring on late launch check out uh, our website lmfm.ie forward slash road safety week for your chance to win a 200 euro voucher with thanks to Cullen Auto Parts Dundalk so check that out there and you could win that lovely prize uh, starting in the morning with Seamus and Christy find out about uh, how they know or how, what their take is on the rules of the road Pat O'Shaughnessy got a lesson in the safe cross code from students at school Forick Neva in Kilcurry it's fantastic Marie Kearns is on the road with driving expert Tony Toner and Arshinaid Brazel uh, becomes a lollipop lady for a day. You have to see that one as well. There's lots more going on for Road Safety Week on LMFM Radio and it's proudly sponsored by the Ireland edition of The Times and you can subscribe today at times.ie join. Times.ie join. You can subscribe there. Now on Late Lunch all this week we bring you a feature called Every Road Has a Cross to Bear and each day I'm out and about with people who've lost loved ones in road tragedies. Mondays, 
Every road is next. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drada, Renault Dealer of the Year. Offering a new standard in used cars with Renault Selection. Each model comes with fully serviced, full vehicle health check and delivered with industry-leading standards of two years warranty, two years breakdown assistance and low APR finance. Garthy have named the young man who died in a hit and run in County Meath in the early hours of yesterday morning. 18-year-old Porrick Coffey from Rathcarn was walking home from a disco when he was knocked down on the Dunderry Road outside Athboy between 2.30am and 3am. He was discovered by a local couple who found him lying on the road. Porrick was transferred to hospital where he was pronounced dead a short time later. Garthy are appealing for anyone with information to contact Kells Garda Station. I'm here on the Dunderry Athboy Road in County Mead. Busy road as you can hear with the traffic going by. And I'm joined by Judy Coffey and we're here for a very special reason. Yes, this series on Road Safety Week, every road has a cross to bear. We start in County Mead. And I want to go back, Judy, quite a while, 22 years to June 9th, 1996. And your son, Porrick, tell us about that time. Do you remember the last time you saw him? I did. It was on the Saturday morning. He was waiting for um, a lady to collect him. He was working with this farmer and um, he left the house. I hadn't seen him during the week because he was late coming home every night. But on the Friday night, I left. I saw us set the table and I left left a note for him. Hi, Porrick, long time no see, Mom. So... That Saturday morning, I just got up and he was in in the sitting room and he was waiting for the lady to come and collect him. And I went back to bed and he came home that evening about half eight and um, he came in and he had a shower and he said that she, uh, the machine had broken down or whatever. And he said he was going to meet another neighbour that was going to get him a job for the summer in Dublin. So uh, at half nine, he came back in. He went down to this fellow's house and they brought him into the town. And then he called back to get a sweatshirt. He didn't come in to us to the sitting room. He just collected the, 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 the shirt and left. And that was all until a neighbour came at half three or maybe 20 to 4, and uh, Patrick got up and he said, Porrick is in an accident back the road. So we went back and the ambulance was there and the squad car. And we thought that he was just injured. But of course, when one of the guards came to us and said that he had died. God, that moment is still as fresh with you as if it were today, isn't it, Judy? It's exactly, yes. And I think that if we got closure, I think that that would, it would, we would le- be able to carry on and let Park rest in peace. And I, I know that there are people out there in our uh, neighbourhood that know who killed Porrick and uh, we just I just appeal to them to find the courage to come forward and you know put us out of our pain or whatever you would like to call it 
you carry this pain with you and your family all these years and again as we stand here you can hear there how busy this road is and you're looking at the little memorial stone here to his memory it must be very tough for you you pass here many times we do every day or maybe twice a day and we put flowers here and the last march was very hard because he would have been 40 and um, I put up the balloons 40 that he was would have been his birthday and mm. the birthday was always special and I think birthdays is always special to a mum you know when they have their little birthdays when they're small and have their little friends in and that and that's what we do uh, the actual um, uh, anniversary it's not the same because it just brings back that time he was killed but I think the birthday uh, especially now that he was 40 uh, we were saying he could be married he could have children and um, the all the grandchildren we have he would have lovely nieces and nephews and this is what he's missed mm. out those are the thoughts Those that go through are, your yes. mind yes. at these special yeah. times. Mm. He was only 18. He went into at Boy and uh, he was out. It was a Saturday night and he was yes. out with his friends. And he was making his way home mm. along this road. Yes, he was. Now, um, he was supposed to be home with the cousin of his and few of the friends, the taxi that brought them in. But for some reason... Porrick didn't appear. I think he was talking to a girl we heard afterwards. So he was seen coming up, up the town and he was seen out near where he was killed at about five past three. A taxi lady saw him and he, he thumbed her, but she was uh, she was full. She told me that she couldn't take any more. And uh, that was... The last, really, that somebody saw him actually See, along this yeah, road. Yeah, that's the last time he was seen alive, mm. was at the corner just here. Just here, beside yes. us, where this little mm. memorial stone stands. Mm. He was struck by an unidentified driver and killed and died at the scene. Yes, he died at the scene, yes. And somebody came uh, on the scene and went back and phoned the the, uh, the guards in Kells and uh, they came uh, I think the call came through in Kells about 10 past 3 or round about that time. So um, he was killed outright. Uh, so then he was taken to Navan and... Have you many memories of that, of actually getting the word? You know, you told me a moment ago mm. you got the call from the guards. Mm. Did, you, did you still hope that he was maybe alive? Well, you, well we did, Patrick and I. We, we, you know, he was out in the car and I just was putting on my clothes and we went out. And I, I just thought he was knocked by a car. Mm. And when we came down the hill, I could see the, 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 the blue light and I could, we could see the ambulance and... At that stage, I thought, well, the ambulance is still there and the guards are there. And we thought he was still alive. And, of course, uh, we couldn't imagine. This is what we said to one another. How can we live without him? When you get the news, when, when it's confirmed, do you remember that moment when you're told that he's gone? Yes, we do. A guard walked towards us and, of course, Patrick broke through. He wanted to see him and um, he did. He went through and he saw him. And for some reason, Patrick looked at his shoes and he came back and he said to me, he's, that's not his own shoes he's wearing. Then we thought maybe the shoes was too big or the laces, he could have tripped on the one, the car was coming or whatever. But um, then he was brought in. I asked, could I see him? And they said uh, um, later. So then the next thing we saw him was in 11.
laid out there. Laid out. I met the nurse and all I was concerned about was that was he marked and she said no, she said he looks lovely. Mm. So we went in and uh, Pat got identified and of course there was a quite a few of my relations were there as well and uh, I just I just couldn't imagine. I still thought he was asleep. But and once we could bring him home, once he came into the house, I just thought everything's fine. Mm. You have other children. You have other children, mm. and they had to be told. Some of them were away at the time. Three of them, uh, Gerard and Sean and Katrina, were in New York. So this was a um, Saturday night, Sunday morning. But they arrived home at about half twelve that Sunday night. They were home from America, and it was dreadful. Because he had written to them. He wrote a letter a short while before that. Actually, it was, I think, the uh, the Christmas that the, he, he took a photograph of his Christmas dinner. And he sent it over to, to America to say, this is what you're missing. You know, that was a typical poor humour, you mm. know. And... Um, that part was very hard that they they were were coming home to that. Mm. You mentioned his humour. He he was a very lovable chap, he was. wasn't he? And describe him for us. He was he was always in good form. And if I was giving out to him about school, the school or his um, um, homework or whatever, he said, "Oh, mom, don't be giving out," you know. But uh, he'd just get around you. This mm. was uh, you know. And any time if if he was gone somewhere and I came home, he'd have left a note: "Mom, gone to a house over the road. Gone to Miggins. We'll be back in twenty minutes." And he'd come back, but he'd be gone again. This is the key. He'd always report back. Or if I was going out for a walk, he'd a little moped. And if I was going out for a walk, he'd follow me around Rathcarn on the moped. That was that was pork. I, you know, we could talk about him forever. And himself and Cormac were very, very close. They were like twins, actually. His other brother. They were close in age as well. Yes, they were close in age, yes. It's 22 years, but your family has been devastated. Mm. Absolutely devastated, because um, it's it's something your your life is never the same again. Because I know when Sean, it was Sean that had the the, the, the got married and had, they had a little boy, and they called him Porrick. And you'd be thinking, you know, if Porrick was alive, he'd be so excited. He loved children, he loved babies, and you'd always think of that time. It was Sean that got married for the second son, and of course Porrick was missed for um, the the um, to be a groomsman, and uh, everything, whether it's a wedding, whether it's a christening, Porrick is always missing, and that will be the case. We have got good dealing with it but uh, the loss the loss will never never heal or will never heal that way but um, grandchildren have come along and they they fill our life as well so um, this is but going back again to the uh, appealing for anyone if they could find it in their heart to come forward and admit they killed him or if somebody's out there that know who who killed Porrick all we want to know is closure and uh, we don't hold any malice no, no
That's all we're asking for. And that's not a lot for a mother and our father to ask is if there's somebody listening now that they will go and to the guards and confidence or, you know, and um, just say, I know who killed him. And this would be, that's all. There's nothing else that we want. That would be our gift before we die. Closure. To Closure. know, to bring this yes, to a, to bring a conclusion the, for it, you. Yes, yes, it would. And we owe it to Porik. You know, so this, this is what I, we're appealing on this, this special time. Yes, the yes. special week of Road Safety Week yes. that we are mm. uh, talking to people who've mm. lost someone very close to them on our roads. Mm. I thank you for joining me here today because it must be so hard to stand beside this little stone here that mm. remembers him today but we remember Porrick Coffee this afternoon. Mm. Thank you. On Road Safety Week 2018 and every week slow down, concentrate never ever drink and drive be courteous to other road users and remember every road has a cross to bear. The Late Lunch with Blackstay Motors Drada, Renault Dealer of the Year. Offering a new standard in used cars with Renault selection. Each model comes with fully serviced, full vehicle health check and delivered with industry-leading standards of two years warranty, two years breakdown assistance and low APR finance. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.